All right, here we are. We are talking about four easy steps to blow your life. Last week we talked about step number one, which simply says this, let your feelings drive. It's hard to survive. If you want to blow your life, you just be led by your feelings and we're headed that direction. Step number two, well, we're going to talk about that today. Here's the first thing I want to ask really is, have you ever found yourself, let's say in a relationship, and let's call it a bad relationship, one that was just uh, not good, not healthy for you, and you finally got out of that bad relationship, but then you find yourself in the middle of another bad relationship, right behind that. Yeah, or, have you ever found yourself Or there? possibly, maybe if it's not for you, a relationship, maybe it's in your work uh, in your work environment, maybe you have that job, you, you know, you're connected on that job and something happens, something goes wrong. And as a result of that, you either leave, you get fired, you go to another job and you think, okay, this is it. This is the perfect job. This is it for me. Time goes by, you realize, oh my goodness, we've got problems, you, you, you leave, uh, or you get fired a second time and then it happens again and again, and you just find yourself in that constant uh, rotation of new job after new job. Yeah. Hey, Ken, give me the fat cam for a minute. <laughs> okay. What about this one? Um, what about uh, you have uh, the bag of Pringles? Um, and here, here we are right here. You got the bag of Pringles. You've got, well, actually, they come in a can, don't they? Let's say you've well, got the bag of miniature Snickers. Fat cam right here. And instead of eating one miniature Snicker, you eat the whole bag. That's what I do. And I do that not just once a year. If I have a bag of mini Snickers, I'm going to slam the whole bag time after time after time. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and tell off on Beth for just a minute. Uh -oh. Beth, where, where are we at? Which camera are we on? Uh, this, this one yes. here? Okay, Beth. Please don't get upset with me when oh, I no. tell this story, oh, okay? No. Um, so yesterday, Beth goes to the store, goes to Walmart. It was for essentials, and she goes in there, and she just gets this impulse buy, and it's those little Cadbury eggs, you know, the the, the candy shell with the chocolate. You know what I'm talking about? This big. Yes. Oh, yes. You, right. Do, you know what I'm talking about? Not Cadbury cream eggs. I mean the little yes, chocolate. The chocolate. They're almost, chocolate. they're like dove chocolate yeah. good, right? Vanessa, so, we're shaking our hands. We're, yes. we're she's driving. Like, she's testifying. We're, we're driving down the road yesterday. Yesterday and Beth is just, I mean, she is crushing these <laughs> eggs. And finally she just she's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. She looks at me, she's like, get these away from me. And, and so yeah, I can relate. I can I'm I can just relate. gonna say, I mean, that that phrase itself, we in between get away from we me. hear that yeah. in my home at least twice a day. <laughs> Oh my goodness! It, yeah, the quarantine at three least, times a day at least. <laughs> so uh, back on track a little bit okay. now. Uh, maybe in your instance, it's not food, it's not your job, it's not maybe a relationship. Maybe for you, it's financial. Maybe you are someone that you struggle financially and you find yourself behind on the bills. You find yourself with some type of a financial crisis and. You know, you, you work really hard or somebody helps you out, steps in, something happens to bail you out, and time goes by, and once again, you, you find yourself back in that same situation. You're behind on the bills again. And then you, you go through that cycle, you go through that pattern of behind financial problems. Okay, now we're, we're treading water to back drowning again. You know, maybe uh, over the course of time, 
you know someone who has developed a reputation of just kind of leaving things unfinished, just not finishing what they start. They'll start something and then they'll quit. And then they'll start something new and then they'll quit. Maybe it's just a reputation of being unreliable. Maybe, you know, you, you tell somebody you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, do a certain thing, and, and you don't do it. And as a result, you just get the reputation of being unreliable. Yeah, it could be a reputation of also being just undisciplined. Um, in, in other words, what we mean by that is maybe just in a rush to get something done and get it behind you. Maybe you're just looking to check those boxes off on your to-do Some, list. Sometimes that can, fa- be me. That, that can, can be, be me. That can be me too. Mm-hmm. As fast as you can and you rush through tasks and then you look at it and you realize, I did not give my best. But the problem is then on the next time that happens... You do it again. I do the very same thing again. Uh, So basically what we're getting at this morning, what we're trying to focus our attention to as we move into our teaching time, we're trying to focus on this question. Do we experience the same problems over and over and over again? The only difference seems to be it may be problems with different people or in different places, but at the end of the day, we just find ourselves in that repetitive pattern of the same problems over and over and over again. And if we find ourselves there, which we can all testify to something, um, if we find ourselves there, that's step two of how to blow your life. And it's keep repeating the same mistakes. Don't learn from your past. Just keep repeating your problems. Now, we're going to look in Scripture and find out how we can get some encouragement here. And, and over the course of our discussion, as we were planning this teaching together, we, we really zeroed in on this one young man. And for many of you this morning, you may have never heard a teaching on this young man. And his name is John Mark. And John Mark, as best we can tell, had everything going for him. It appears that he came from a very wealthy family. So he's just kind of a little rich boy. And it seems like he acts in a very, um, uh, uh, what's that word? A very entitled entitled way, kind of a way that you would expect to see someone act on TV who was playing Mm -hmm. the rich boy. Uh, He had extra opportunities. Um, He had a, a great starting place in life as he began his life. He really had some advantages. Um, uh, John Mark had some brushes with greatness, and I really want to uh, make that a little bigger because it's really more than just a brush with greatness. John Mark was an assistant to greatness. And one of those people that he was tightly connected with was a relative of his, and you might recognize this name, the name of Barnabas. Uh, John Mark is a younger relative of the older Barnabas, and by older I don't mean an old man, just right. but just John Mark was much younger, and um, and so Barnabas, you might recognize that name because Barnabas actually knew and 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 crossed paths with and followed the living, breathing Jesus here on this earth. Big deal, right? So John Mark. Not just brushes with greatness, but actually was involved with greatness. John Mark, uh, he assisted Peter. We know that John Mark assisted Peter. Um, and just to kind of give you a, a little bit of a, a, maybe a better picture of that, uh, when King Herod Agrippa was on the throne there in, uh, there in, in, in Israel, 
he had just killed the apostle James. So kind of give you a, an idea of the timeline. And Peter is actually arrested following that. And the actual night, the very night that Peter is, or the night before, I should say, that Peter is to be put on trial that and probably would have ended in his execution. Um, we know about this from the, from the book of Acts. Luke tells us about it in the book of Acts. We, we know that the night that that was supposed to happen, God actually sends an angel to lead Peter out of that prison. His chains fall off, this iron gate opens by itself, and Peter and the people that he was in prison with just walked over the guards and just walked out. And John Mark was one of the very first people to actually see Peter after he had escaped in this miraculous way. So Peter, or excuse me, John Mark was very connected with Peter. John Mark, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in a moment, John Mark assisted Paul, the greatest church planner that has ever lived. John Mark knew, he knew Jesus personally. He had a face-to-face -face, uh, relationship. Yeah. So, John Mark now, we're going to kind of go to this scene that we pick up with John Mark. And what's happening is the, the early church, this one located in Antioch, um, this church is getting ready to send some guys out on the very first church starting trip or ba journey. Basically what we're talking about doing in Malvern, right? Exactly. I mean, same concept, yes. yeah. Only they're going to, to plant many, many, right. many churches. And so here's kind of how that runs down. It's going to involve Barnabas and Saul. And Barnabas and Saul, uh, you know him, he just mentioned by the name of Paul. Barnabas and Paul um, are going to be those. Now, they are among the teachers at this church, kind of like we are co-teachers here. They were among a bigger group of teachers in Antioch. And God tells this church, they, he tells them, he said, I want you to send these guys out specifically, Barnabas and Paul, send them on this journey, send them off to go start these churches. And they do that, and they invite John Mark to go along with them as their assistant. Now, this is a big deal. This is, this is huge. Um, John Mark is going to be helping on this church-starting trip. This is a big deal. Um, probably among his uh, job responsibilities as an assistant is going to be to instruct the new converts, which there were many. Um, he was going to also assist with baptisms because we understand on these journeys, Paul very rarely was the one doing the baptisms. It was the assistant and those who were with him. And so, and then he was just going to help in any way that he could. Um, so this was an important role for this young man. And it was in relatively a dangerous line of work. And so we are going to catch up here with Acts chapter 13, verse 6. So they have left for this journey, and now it says afterwards they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos. Now, this is where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet, and his name here is Bar-Jesus. Now, there are a couple of things that we're going to see happen here. Um, one, to begin with, and these are big things, one, the sorcerer that, that we're talking about or that is in the narrative, is in this event, and, and by the way, I, I hate, sometimes when we use the word narrative, event, or story, 
we tend to look at it and kind of think fictional. This right. actually happened. This yeah. is a real, uh, real experience that actually happened as recorded, we believe, by Luke, yeah. probably, in, in, for the book of Acts. And so um, this sorcerer, this, this, is a, this is the real deal, sorcerer. Uh, this is a bad deal. It's going to get pretty ugly. And uh, we, we kind of keep on going in Acts chapter 13 into verse 7, and it says that speaking of this sorcerer, he attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. Now, that's really a, a simple way of just saying he was kind of connected to the right people. He was connected in high places. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elima, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Paul said. I mean, it makes sense. He doesn't want to lose that connection that he has because he was trying to keep the governor from believing. Now, the other big thing that we're going to see play out here in this short example, he was called Saul, but he's also Paul. We're going to see Paul step into a lead role in this church planning, church starting work. We're going to see Paul, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, or I should say Paul, who um, is connected with Barnabas, we're going to see Paul step forward. We're going to see Barnabas kind of take a back seat. He's yeah. still involved. Can I add something sure. here, too? Because at this time, Barnabas had been following Jesus much longer, longer than, Paul. than Paul. Because Paul has, remember, he's just been connected with Jesus since on the road to Damascus. That's the beginning for Paul. So Barnabas is the longer-term yeah. Christ follower, if yes. you will. But Paul's going to take a step forward. Barnabas is going to be okay with riding shotgun, yeah. if you will. So as we continue on, verse 9. So Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. All right, now here's what's getting ready to go down. Uh, now in Aramaic, which is the language that we're most likely speaking at that moment, um, Bar-Jesus, that name, it means son of Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 10. Then he said, this is Saul or Paul speaking, he said, you son of the devil. Now Paul told him, he said, it was like, listen guy, instead of being son of Jesus, now Jesus, that, that name means uh, Yahweh is salvation. So Paul is saying, Instead of you being the son of salvation, Yahweh being salvation, instead of that, you're the son of the devil. And here's how he goes on. You're full of every sort of deceit and fraud and an enemy of all that is good. Will you ever, he says, will you ever stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Now, this guy was really involved in sorcery. In other words, he was exercising power by controlling and with the help of demons. This was the real deal. And it had led him into all kinds of deception and all kinds of distortion of the truth. This was the occult. And, and indeed, it is dangerous in this moment where they are. It is still dangerous today, just as dangerous. And this was intense. And just keep in mind, this, here's young John Mark, who has been probably a little pampered in his life, and he is in this dangerous moment. Just imagine yourself in the movie Paranormal. This, this is freaky. It is, it is 
beyond anything we want to be involved in. And John Mark is there. Paul goes on. He says in verse 11, watch now. In other words, he says, oh yeah, you're going to see something. Watch this. For the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. And Luke says, instantly, a mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around and he began begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. In verse 12, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. I imagine yeah. so. Scared him to death. But it's, Paul, uh, Luke says, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Well, he saw something. So this is the environment that John Mark finds himself in. So again, put yourself in the, uh, the mindset, the mentality of John Mark. He's, re- he's younger. He's younger than Paul. He's younger than Barnabas. He is uh, probably been brought up in a well-to-do family. He has not wanted for much. I would use the analogy that when he had his hand of cards given to him, he had a good deck of cards. You know, he had he had plenty of uh, plenty of options in his hand uh, in his deck of cards. So this is John Mark. This is his background, and now he finds himself in a pretty intense moment. And we we continue on, and and it's very clear to see too to me, Harley, that. It's clear Paul is leading this church yeah. planning process. He's now in the lead role of the church starting effort. And that's really the moment it happened. Right, right. right he, he's then. still there. Yeah. Barnabas is in the shotgun seat. Paul's in the driver's seat, probably with hands on 10 and 2, like we <laughs> talked about last week. Yes. So it's intense. This is like a blockbuster movie, okay? So this is, this is the real deal. We could make a great movie about this specific Acts chapter 13. And if we continue on chapter, uh, verse 13... Uh, Luke tells us that Paul and his companions... Now, the greatness of Barnabas is on full display right here to me because Barnabas willingly steps aside and he lets Paul be the leader. I mean, that shows a level of spiritual maturity that I probably don't have. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean, it went from Paul and Barnabas to, to now he's just listed Paul as a companion. and his companion Barnabas. Yeah. So Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia. Landing at the port town of Perga. So it's just telling us where they're at and where they're going. And now we're going to see the, the script is going to go pretty bad for John Mark. Things are going to change for John Mark. Remembering what he has experienced, remembering what he has seen, he has witnessed Bar-Jesus be struck blind at the words of Paul through uh, the power of, of God. And so this is what John Mark has experienced. And then we see there's just kind of this little snippet of information, and it says that as they landed in Perga, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's it. It doesn't sound like a big deal. It doesn't sound like a huge deal. It just sounds like he went home, and he did go home. But if we read further, and we will, we find out that John Mark really just kind of bailed out on him. He just quit. He just said, that's it, I can't do this, I'm going home. And later on, we're going to find out that this was a huge mistake. And it was a big, big deal. And it really affected not only John Mark, it affected the whole church planning thing, and it affected Paul and Barnabas' relationship. Yeah, it was huge. So that leads us to ask a question. Well, why did, why did John Mark bail? Why didn't he finish what he started? 
Why did he just get up and quit? Why didn't he have the integrity and the character to do what he said he was going to do? Well, there are many possible answers to that. One of those is it's possible that while Barnabas was okay with taking that step down and letting Paul lead, it's possible that John Mark, as a family member of Barnabas, may have seen that as a demotion for the entire family. And so maybe while Barnabas was okay with it, maybe that made John Mark just want to say, hey, I'm out of here, I quit. Maybe because we see that Paul and Barnabas, they put such an emphasis on the non-Jewish community, the Gentile community, and bringing those people to Christ and converting them to being followers of Jesus. Maybe that shift in focus was just too much for John Mark. Maybe he just wasn't willing to take it, and maybe he said, you know what? I'm, Jew- I'm more in the Jewish side of this. I'm not cool with this Gentile thing we're doing. I'm not comfortable with who we're trying to reach as a church I got to go home. I got. I got to give it up. Yeah, it's possible. Maybe uh, another option would be that just things were getting so dangerous and so intense uh, and a little scary to, yeah, a lot to be scary. truthful. <laughs> that maybe John Mark just kind of chickened out and he ran away. Maybe he was just homesick. Could have been. Maybe he just missed his mama. Yeah, could have just <laughs> been know? homesick. Right. Uh, you know, any of these reasons are possibilities of why John Mark bailed out. And while we don't know the exact reason, because it's not given to us, we do know something about that scenario. No matter what the reason was, Paul sees this as a huge mistake, a huge character weakness in John Mark. This was a problem. Right. And we find out about that in in Acts chapter 15, because again, to kind of set the scene a little bit, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and kind of John Mark, they had already gone out. They'd gone on that first church planning, church starting uh, mission. And now we kind of skip a little bit of time and um, we, we find Paul and Barnabas, they're getting set again. They're going to go out again. They're going to go on another church planning and church starting journey. And Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36, tells us how that went down. Verse 36, after some time. So we don't know how much time. We just know some time had passed between John Mark Bailing and this second church planning mission. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each of the city that we previously preached the word of the Lord. See how the believers are doing. So let's just see how things are going. And verse 37, Barnabas agreed. And then we find out that he wanted to take along John Mark. That's not a surprise. Again, they're they're related. They're relatives. And Barnabas said, hey, I want to take John Mark with us again. But verse 38 tells us that Paul strongly disagreed. He disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in... Now, we're not taking John Mark. You see, Paul, because before he converted to uh, being a, a follower of Jesus, Paul was a student of the Old Testament. He was a student of the Torah. And he knew every he knew the Torah front, back, side, side, upside down, and inside out. He was a we would say he was a very religious person in Israel at that time. And Paul would have said, wait a second, I know what the Torah says about somebody like John Mark. I know what the proverb specifically. Paul might have even pulled out the proverb, Proverbs 25, 19. He might have even quoted to Barnabas, hey, this is what the proverb says. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. So Paul would have been like, no, that's what the proverb says. John Mark is unreliable. We can't trust him. 
to let him go with us, that would be dumb. We're not going to do that. So he says, we're not going to take John Mark again. He has bad integrity. He makes bad decisions. Verse 39, and this was the outcome. These were the ramifications of this confrontation over John Mark. Verse 39, their disagreement, the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Yeah, here we have the best of buddies. They have been in the trenches together, very close, extremely close, and now Barnabas and Paul they, they split again. Um, and here's how that plays out after they split. It says, Barnabas took John Mark with him and they sailed to Cyprus. Verse 40 says, Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Uh, verse 41 says, Paul and Silas, they traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So here we have Paul, one of the most influential leaders in the early churches. He has rejected John Mark because of his mistake, because of his, as it could be viewed, a character flaw. And that's where they leave it. For years and years, that's where it's left. And now a lot of time goes by. Life goes on as if it were just uh, usual. But if it were usual, this is what would happen. Um, there would have been a whole lot of excuses made. John Mark would have just been making excuses. Well, you know, uh, uh, the, he'd be just pointing and blaming everyone except himself. Um, if, if it were usual... Other people around him would, be, would take the fall for John Mark's mistake. And so then life would just simply go on. And, and the character flaw would remain and it would stay. And we would find John Mark repeating the same mistakes again and again and again. But I want to say this. But it's not as usual something in John Mark during this time changes. Right. So for most of us, many of us, as we talked about in our kind of lead in into this teaching, we've all experienced make a mistake, don't make a change, make the same mistake again, have the same outcome, whether it be food, relationships, job, financial, so many examples. John Mark made a mistake. The first time that John Mark, that we get his name on the pages of history, is a mistake. It's a problem. It is where his character flaw has a magnifying glass placed on it. And then time passes. And we don't know what changes. The, the Bible's silent. The scriptures right. are silent. We have no idea. We don't know if, if he was counseled. We don't know if he... We don't know why John Mark made a change, but he did. He didn't blame others. He didn't, um, he, he didn't uh, make excuses. He just apparently owned up and he made a change in his character. We don't have a record of those changes. We just have the rest of the story. We have the end of the story. So we know that from the moment he is put on the pages of history until we get to the end of the story, we don't know what happened specifically. We just know something happened because the end of the story shines a much prettier light on John Mark than the beginning of the story yeah. does. So about 15 years later, um, give or take, uh, about 15 years after this initial event, 
we get one of, we take one of Paul's letters, and this is a letter that he writes to the church at Colossus. So this is uh, Colossians chapter four, verses ten through eleven. So this is Paul writing a letter to a church, basically saying, "Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what you're doing, and here's what I need." So verse ten. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. So first of all, we find out Paul's in prison. Not unusual for Paul. Right. <laughs> we find out he's in prison. Uh, he sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. So this same Mark that 15 or so years before, Paul was so against taking with him that he split with his very close companion, Barnabas. Now, apparently, they're back together. They're back connected. As we continue on, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. So Paul's tone has changed. Something's happened. Verse 11, Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. So this is not the Jesus that we obviously talk most about. This is the one they call, apparently called justice. He also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. So apparently John Mark was now working with Paul. They were apparently together in the ministry. Something has changed. Something has changed, and it's not just Paul's attitude toward Mark. Mark's character changed. Jewish believers working um, uh, among co my co-workers, they are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and this is Paul's final, this is his last thought here, what a comfort they have been. Yes, but what a difference. Something changed. Something big changed to get to that point. And uh, later, that very same year, Paul wrote another letter, and this time to, the, uh, to a person, and his name is uh, Philemon, uh, and he is talking about John Mark again, the very same year. Um, so he says this in verse 23, uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. Verse 24, so do Mark. Mark shows up again a year late. So he's been with him about a year or later that same year. And, and he's in that same position, has moved from someone making a mistake, but he's not repeating those mistakes. A change was made, and now Paul's looking at him and says, hey, listen, this guy's with me and he's working with me. Um, and, and then we have this, this guy he lists again, uh, Aristarchus, and this other guy, Demas. And he says, Luke, man, to be in, included in that group, we know for certain Luke and those other guys must be so important as well. And he calls them here, my co-workers. This is an amazing change for John Mark. So John Mark has gone from being kind of the, the reason for, if you will, the very first church split, if you yeah. will, the very first major issue in church history, Paul, Barnabas, separate ways. Why? Mark. He's gone from that guy. He's made changes. He's made improvements. He hasn't repeated the same mistake over and over. He stayed out of that cycle of just doing the same stupid stuff and wondering why he keeps getting the same results. That Mark now... Look at this. This is Paul's, that we know of, his second letter to Timothy. Somebody that Paul was pretty close with. I mean, there was a, a relationship there. So this is just a few years before Paul is to be executed in Rome. 
He writes this second letter to Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And, and to me, if there, you need any more convincing that John Mark has not repeated his mistakes, he has learned from his past, and he has gotten, he has improved, here it is. 2 Timothy 4, 11, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. So Luke's still hanging. And he says to Timothy, Luke's the only one I've got. Paul could have asked for anybody. Paul was the big dog here, guys. Paul was the boss. Paul's Harley, right? Okay. Paul's like, you know, he's the boss. If Paul wanted it, needed it, he would get it because he was in charge. And what does he ask for? He says, I've only got Luke here with me, Timothy. I need something else. Bring Mark. Bring Mark with you when you come. I want to see Mark. I need Mark. Bring Mark for, and this is why, for he will be helpful to me in my life ministry 15 20 years before paul really rejected mark and now here we see paul saying i need mark mark made a change mark didn't repeat those mistakes sometime after john mark blew it in that very first church starting trip he must have learned from his past um, he, he must have learned not to repeat his past and his past mistakes over and over and over again in that cycle that we talked about. So here, man, what a life lesson that we can find in the story of John Mark. And it really can be summed up, Harley, I think, in what is our bottom line this morning. And our bottom line this morning is this. Review your past or relive your problems. Yeah. So here we have John Mark, who started off potentially as a, a kind of a spoiled kid with privilege. And with that, he personally had some character flaws. He was a quitter. He didn't start what he finished. Um, he didn't do what he said that he would do. But something happened. Somehow he looked at those mistakes and changes were made. And he became a man of character and a man of self-discipline. You know, Mark, he learned from his past mistakes. We don't know exactly what happened. We just know the end of the story. He learned from his past mistakes. And apparently, the changes that John Mark made in his life were so great that he became not just a ministry partner of Paul, he became a favored, a chosen ministry partner of Paul to the point that Paul actually said to Timothy, Bring Mark. I need Mark. So, not only that, he becomes a chosen ministry partner of Peter. I almost yeah, forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. Not just Paul. We actually know also from the pages of Scripture, he becomes a ministry partner of Peter. I'd forgotten about yeah. that. So, John Mark, the first picture we get of him in his life is not very flattering. His first foray onto the pages of history. His first foray onto the pages of Scripture. The New Covenant. Not good. But he goes on to be an evangelist. He learns from his mistakes. And this is the cool thing. This, To me, this is the most yeah. amazing. It's, like, it's as you said it's the other the day. It's the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah. John Mark goes from being an afterthought, um, a negative story, a bad example on the pages of Scripture to hardly he actually wrote scripture he gets to write one of the four gospels of the story of jesus yeah i mean what a transformation he didn't repeat his past mistakes he got better he made corrections and as a result 
he started moving in a much yeah. better direction. Oh, that's huge. So what does all of that mean for us? If our bottom line says, review your past or relive your problems. Let me say that again. I, I, I want to make sure that sinks in. Review your past or relive your problems. That means we have a choice to make. There's two choices here. One choice is we could choose to live like a toddler. If you have been around, if you have children or you have been around uh, children, you understand that when you have a toddler, they are going to live their life one-handed. They are going to live by feelings. And as the toddler gets old enough, that toddler is going to excuse their behavior, no matter what it was, they're going to excuse it. They're going to have a reason for that behavior and make an excuse. They are not going to learn from their mistakes unless they're really, really painful. But even then, <laughs> maybe not. Um, but they're going to excuse and they're going to live by feelings, make an excuse for everything, and they're going to not learn from those mistakes. So they're going to respond to a mistake by saying, and we have this choice, we can say something like this, well, they made me do it. Or we can say, well, it's their fault. They made me feel that way. That's why I responded that way. If they had not done this, then I would not have done that. All excuses. We can do that and we will be well on our way to fulfilling step number two of how to blow your life. Or we have a second choice. We can choose to not live like a toddler. We can choose to live like an adult. We can, yes, we are going to make mistakes, but we can evaluate those mistakes after we make them. And as we evaluate them, we can learn from those mistakes and we can begin to grow and we can begin to change like somehow John Mark did. But in order to do that, we must learn from our past. Those ways that we have dropped it, we, we have to review that, look at it. So that we don't relive those same types of problems over and over and over again. We have to review that past. Instead of making excuses for why we behaved that way or why we made that mistake of a decision, we have to ask ourselves a very specific question. And here's a question. We have to say to ourselves, in light of my past, in light of that mistake, in my past, whether it be a week ago or a year ago or two years ago, in light of that past, my mistake in the past, what is wise for me to do right now? What is wise for me now? So in other words, what did not work back here in my past? What didn't work? And so now I have to look at my my, my present right now. And so what is the wise thing for me to do right now so that I don't do that again? What is the wise thing for me to do? The bottom line says review your past or relive your problems. And as we're bringing this in for a landing today, I just simply want to say this. We have a past. Your past may not be my past. My past may not be yours. But we have a past, many of us have a past that involves relationships. The people uh, we choose to date, the people we choose to be around. Uh, 
And we have a tendency to relive those same bad relationships over and over and over again. A different person, but the same horrible type of relationship. And here's the question. What is the common denominator of those relationships? And we have to look and we have to say, I am the only common denominator because it's different people and I am the same every time. I have to look here. What do I need to do differently so I don't relive that again? It may revolve around addiction. If we have an addiction, or let me add to that and broaden it, if we have a codependency or we have an enmeshment, what do I need to do differently today so that I don't do that again? I have a friend who got his sobriety in AA, and he said, Harley, it is not wrong for me to drink. He's an alcoholic. He said, it's not wrong for me to drink. Here's the problem, Harley. I have lost my privilege to drink. Because of my past, I cannot drink alcohol. It is not wise for me. Because of my past, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? That's what he said about that. And we have a past, a history with relationships, in our marriages, in, in, in our relationship with our children, in our working environments. We have, anywhere we have made a mistake that has been life-changing, we have to ask ourselves, in light of that, what do I need to do right now? What is the wise thing? Because I don't want to repeat that any longer. And my prayer is this, that you will join us this week in beginning to answer and ask and then answer that question of ourselves. We need to understand what has gone wrong back there and we need to review it and evaluate it or we will find ourselves reliving the same problems. Now, will you join me as we talk to our Heavenly Father? God, I do not want to live in a circle that is repeating the same mistakes over and over. God, I don't want to live with regret over and over again. I don't want to blow my life, God. I need your help. Many of my friends right now are calling out to you for help. Father, will you help us to review our past so we don't relive the same problems over and over again? Help us to see, according to my past mistakes, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? Jesus, we ask that you give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard. And we ask, Jesus, that you would give us the courage to do it. Amen.